The, uh, the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes by Arthur Colin Doyle A Scandal in Bohemia To Sherlock Holmes she is always the woman. I have he- seldom heard him mention her under any other name. In his eyes she eclipses and predominates the whole of her sex. You not you feel any emotion akin to love for Irina Adler. All emotions and that one particular were abhorrent to his cold, precise but admirably balanced mind. He was, I take it, most perfect reasoning and reserving machine that the world has seen. By the lover he would have placed himself in a false position. He never spoke of the softer passions, gay save with a glib and a sneer. They were were admirable things for the reserver, excellent for drawing the veil for man's motives and actions, but for the trained reasoner to admit such intrusions to his own delicate and finely adjusted temperament would deduce a distracting factor which might throw a doubt upon all his mental results. Grit in a sensitive instrument or cracking one of his own higher power lenses would not be more disturbing a strong emotion in, a na- as na- in nature such as his. Yet there was but one woman to him. That woman was the late Irene Adler of dubious and questionable memory. I have seen little of Holmes lately. My marriage had drifted us apart from each other. My own complete happiness and the Holmes-centred interest which raised up around the man who first finds himself master of his own establishment was significant to dissolve all my attention are Holmes who loathed every form of society with, a whole, with his whole bohemian soul. He remained in our lodgings in Baker Street, buried among his old books, ordering meditating from one week to another, from week to week, between cocaine and ambition, the derisiveness of drug, the fierce energy of his own keen nature. He was still as ever deeply attracted by the study of crime occupied his immense facilities extraordinary powers of observation in following out those clues and clearing up those mysteries which had been abandoned as hopeless by the official police until during the time I heard some vague account of his doings of his summons to Odessia the case of the Tupoff murder with clearing up the singular tragedy of the Ackerson brothers at Tin Kumali, a funny of the mission which he had accomplished so delicately, successfully, for the reigning family of Holland. Beyond these signs of his activity, however, which I share merely share with all the readers of the daily press, I know a new little of my former friend and companion. One night, it was the twentieth of March, eighteen eighty-eight, returning from a journey to a patient. For I had now returned to civil practice. When I led, when my way led me through Baker Street, as I passed the railway member door, which must always be associated in my mind with my wooing and with my dark incidents of the study of Scarlet, I seized with a keen desire to see Holmes again, to know how he was employing his strawny powers. His rooms were brilliantly lit. Even as I looked up, I saw his tall, spare figure pass twice in a dark silhouette against the blind, he was pacing the room swiftly, eagerly, with his head shrunk upon his chest and his hands 
grasp behind him. To me, who knew his every mood and habit, his attitude and manner told her own story. He was at work again. He was at work again. He'd risen out of his drug-created dreams, was hot upon the scent of another new problem. Scent of some new problem. Rang the bell, the shown up to the chamber, which had formerly been in my part my own. His manner was effusive. It seldom was, but he was glad, I think, to see me. And hardly a word spoken, but with kindly eye, he waved me to an armchair, threw across his case of cigars and indicated spirit case, and a gasgagine in the corner, when he stood before the fire and looked me over in his singular, introspective fashion. Wedlock suits you, he remarked. I think, Watson, you have put on seven and a half pounds since I saw you. Seven, I answered. Indeed, I should have thought a little more, just a trifle more, I fancy, Watson. In practice again, I observe. You do not tell me you intended to go into harness? Then how do you know? I see it. I deduct it. How do I know that you have been getting yourself very late lately? And you have a most clumsy and careless servant girl. My dear Holmes, said I, this is too much. You would s- certainly had been burned had you lived in a few centuries ago. It's true, I had a country walk on Thursday, came home in a dreadful mess, but as I have cha- changed my clothes, I can't imagine how you deduced it. As to, to Mary Jane, she's incorrigible. My wife has given a notice, that there again I failed to see how you worked it out. He chuckled to himself and rubbed his long, nervous hands together. It's simplicity itself, he said. My eyes tell me, but on the inside of your left shoe, just where the firelight strikes it, a level scored by six almost parallel cuts. Obviously, they have been called by someone who has a very carelessly scraped around the edges of the sole in order to move crusty mud from it. Hence, you see my double deduction. You have been out in the vile weather, and you had a particularly malignant boot-slitting specimen of the London slavery. As to your practice, is it if a gentleman walks into my rooms, spelling a little form, with a black mark of nature of silver, put his right forefinger, a bulge on the left on the right side of his top hat, to show that he was secreted his where he secreted his telescope? I must be dull indeed if I did not pronounce him to be an active member of the medical profession. I could not help laughing at the ease with which he explained his process of deduction. When I hear you give your reasons, I remarked, the thing always appears to me to be so ridiculously simple. I could easily do it myself, though at each successive instance of your reasoning I am baffled to explain your process, and yet I believe that my eyes are as good as yours. Quite so, he added, answered lighting a cigarette and throwing himself down on, on into an armchair. You see, but you do not deserve. The distinction is clear, for example. You have frequently seen the steps which lead up from the hall to this room, frequently. How often? Well, seven hundred or, or, so hundreds of times. And how many are there? How many? I don't know. Quite so, you have not deserved, and yet you have seen. That is just my point. Now I know there are seventeen steps because I have both seen and observed. By the way, since you are interested in these little problems, 
And since you are good enough to chronicle one or two of trifling experiences, you may be interested in this. For over a sheet of thick pink tinted notepaper, which had been, li- been lying open upon the table, it came by po- the last post, he said. Read it aloud. The note was undated, about even of its signature's address. There will call upon you tonight at quarter to eight o'clock, it said. A gentleman who desires to consult you upon a matter of the very deepest moment. Your recent services to one of the royal houses of Europe has shown that you are one who may safely be trusted with matters of importance which can hardly be exaggerated. This account of you we have from all quarters received. Be in your chamber then at the hour, that hour, and do not take it amiss if your visitor wear a mask. This is indeed a mystery, I marked. What do you imagine it means? I have no data yet. It is capital mistake to throw dies before one has data. Insensibly, one begins to twist facts to suit theories instead of theories to suit facts. But the note itself, what do you deduce from it? I carefully examined the writing and the paper upon which it was written. The man who wrote it was presumably well to do, I remarked, endeavouring to imitate my companion's processes. So if it could not be brought under, under half a crown a packet, it is peculiarly strong and stiff. Peculiar. That is a very old, very, the very word, said Holmes. It is not an English paper at all. Hold it up to light. I did so and saw a large E with a small G into P. A P, a large G with a small T woven into the texture of the paper. What do you make of that? Asked Holmes. The name of the maker, no doubt. Or his monogram, rather. Not at all. The G with a small T stands for Gufferstraff which is the German for company, is a customary contraction, like our C-O-P, of course, stands for paper. Now, for the E-G, let us glance at our content of Gazette. He took down a heavy brown volume from his shelves. Egeroil, Egeries, here we are, Egerar. It is a German-speaking country in Bohemia, not far from Kurzberg. Ed. Markle is being the scene of the death of the Winsenstein, and for its numerous glass factories and paper mills. Aha, my boy, what do you make of that? His eyes sparkled. He sent up a large, great blue triumphant, triumphant cloud with a cigarette. A paper was made of Bohemia, I said. Precisely, the man who wrote the note is a German. Do you note the peculiar construction of the sentence? This account of you we have from all quarters received, Frenchman or Russian, could have not written that. It is the German who are so unconscious of these verbs. And it remains therefore to discover what it is wanted by this German who writes upon Bohemian paper, first wearing a mask to show his face. And here it comes, if I am not mistaken, resolve all our doubts. As he spoke, there was a sharp sound of horses, hooves, and grating wheels against the curb, followed by a small, sharp pull at the bell. Holmes whistled. A pair, by the sound, said he. Yes, he continued, glancing out the window. A nice little barham, a pair of bruties. A hundred and fifty guineas apiece. There's money in this case, Watson, if there's nothing else. I think I'd better go, Holmes. Not a bit, Doctor. Stay here where you are. I'm lost about my Boswell. This promises to be interesting. It would be a pity to miss it, but your client. Never mind him. I want your help. And so may he. 
Here he comes. Sit down in the armchair, Doctor, and give us your best attention. Slow and heavy step, which had been heard upon the stairs in the passage, falls immediately outside the door. Then there was a loud and authoritative tap. Come in, said Holmes. A man entered whose Harley had been less than six feet, six inches in height, the chest and limbs of Hercules. His dress was rich with rich, with riches which would in England be looked upon as akin to bad taste. Every man's of the can was slashed across the sleeves and fronts of his double-breasted coat, while the blue, deep blue cloak which was thrown over his shoulders was lined with flame-coloured silk and secured at the neck a brooch which consisted of a single flaming barrel, boots which extended halfway to his calves, which were trimmed at the tops of rich brown fur, completely pressured by barbaric uplands, which suggested by his whole appearance he carried a broad-brimmed hat in his hand, which he wore across the other part of his face, extending upon past the cheekbones a black vizard mask, which he apparently adjusted at that very moment. His hand was still raised to it as he entered, but the lower part of the face he appeared to be a man of strong character, with thick hanging lip, a long, straight chin, suggestive resolution, pushed to the length of a steward of sterility, see. You'll have my note? he asked with a deep, harsh voice and sharply marked German accent. I told you I would call. He looked from one or the other, from one to the other of us, if it's certain which to address. Pray, take a seat, said Holmes. This is my friend and colleague, Dr. Watson, who is occasionally good enough to help me in my cases. Whom have I the honour to address? You may address me as Count von McCrem, a Bohemian nobleman. I understand that this gentleman, your friend, is a man of honour and distinction, whom I may trust with a manner of the most extreme importance. If not, I should much prefer to communicate with you alone. I rose to go, but Holmes caught me by the wrist and pushed me back into my chair. Is both or none, said he. You may stay before this gentleman. Anything which you say to me, the Count shrugged his bull trotters. Then I must begin, said he, by binding you both to absolute security. For two years, at the end of the time, a matter will be of no importance. A reason it is not too much to say that in such of such weight it may have an influence upon European history. I promise, said Holmes. And I You excuse this mask, continued our strange visitor. The Argus people person who employs me wishes his agent to be unknown to you. I must confess at once that the title be which I have just called myself is not exactly my own. I was aware of that of it, said Holmes dryly. Circumstances are a great decency, and every proportion has to be taken to quench, which might grow to be an immense scandal, and seriously compromise one of the reigning families of Europe. To plainly the matter implicates the great house of Amsterdam, Harry Kings to Bohemia. I also wear that, murmured Holmes, setting himself down in his armchair and closing his eyes. Visit a glance with some apparent surprise, languid, languishing figure, a man who had been no doubt deceptive to him, as the most incisive reasoner, most heterogenic agent in Europe. Holmes suddenly reopened his eyes, looked impatiently at his giant client. If your Majesty were condescend to state your case, he remarked, 
I should should be better able to advise you. Man sprang from his chair and paced up and down the room in control of agitation. Then with a gesture of desperation, he tore the mask from his face, held it upon the ground. You're right, he cried. I am the king. Why should I attempt to conceal it? Why indeed, murmured Holmes. Your Majesty has not spoken before, I was aware. I was dressing William Gortrich Stinkermore, von Hesselstein, Grand Duke of the Kessels of Frenstein, Heritage King of Bohemia. But you all can understand, said our strange visitor, sitting down once more, passing his hand over his high white forehead. You can understand that you are not accustomed to doing such business of my own person. Yet the manner, matter has so, was so delicate, I could not confine it to an agent without putting myself in his power. I have come into Conito on Prague for the purpose of consulting you. And pray consult, said Holmes, shutting his eyes once more. Our facts are briefly these. Some five years ago, during a lengthy visit to Warsaw, I made the acquaintance of a well-known adventurous, Aaron Ledler. The name is no doubt familiar to you. Can you look her up in my index, Doctor? murmured Holmes without opening his eyes. For many years he adopted a system of documenting all paragraphs concerning men and things. It was difficult to name a subject or person which he could not at once furnish information. In this case I found a biography, sandwiched between that of the Hebrew rabbi and a self-staff commander had written a monograph upon the deep sea fishes. Let me see, said Holmes. Hmm, born in New Jersey, the year 1858. Hm hmm. Prima Donna, Imperial Opera of also, yes, retired from operatic stage. Ah, living in England, London. Quite so, Your Majesty. As I understand, I understand, as I understand, came entangled with this young person, wrote her some compromising letters, and now it's devious of getting those letters back precisely. But how? Was there a secret marriage? None. No legal papers or certain certificates? None. And I fail to follow you, Majesty. If this young person should produce her letters for blackmailing other purposes, how is she to provide a fantasy? There, there, it, there it is in the writing. Poo-poo forgery. My private notepaper stolen. My own seal imitated. My photograph brought. We are both in the photograph. Oh dear, that is very bad, Your Majesty. Has indeed committed an indiscretion. I was mad, insane. You compromised yourself seriously. I was the only crown prince then. Only crown prince then. I was young and I am thirty now. It must be recovered. We have tried and failed. Your Majesty, you must pay. It, it must be brought. She will not sell. Stolen then. Five attempts have been made. Two waste burglaries in my own in my pay. Twice burglars in my pay ransacked her house. Once he diverted her luggage. When she travelled twice, she had been waylaid. There had been no result. No sign of it? Absolutely none. Holmes laughed. It's quite a little problem, said he. But a very serious one to me, returned the king approachfully. Very indeed. And does she propose, what does she propose to do with the photograph? To ruin me. But how? I am about to be married. So I have heard. So collect and offer man von Skessenfinger to king. Second daughter of the king of Scandinavia. You may know 
the strict principles of her family. She herself a very sole delicacy, a shadow of doubt as to my conduct will bring the matter to an end. And then are in Lenda. Friends to send them the photograph. And as she do, she will not do it. I know she will do it. You do not know her. But she is a still of soul still. She has a face the most beautiful of women, and a mind the most resolute of men. Rather I would should marry another woman, and there are links to which she would not go. None. Are you sure that she has not sent it yet? I am sure. And why? Because she, she has said she because she has said she would send it on the day when the betrothal was publicly proclaimed. That will be next Monday. Ah, then we have three days yet, said Holmes with a yawn. That is very fortunate. So I have one or two matters of abundance to look into just at present. I may she will, of course, stay in London for the present. Certainly. You will find me in the Lugerham under the name of Count von Kremen. And I will drop your line to let you know how we progress. Pray you do so. I shall be all in anxiety. Then, as to money... You have Clown Blanche, absolutely. I tell you what, I, that I give you one of the promises of my kingdom to have that photograph. And for present expenses, the king took a heavy commerce leather bag from a new cloak and laid it on the table. There are three hundred pounds in gold and seven hundred in notes, he said. Holmes scribed a receipt upon a sheet of his notebook, handed it to him. And Malay's address, Mademoiselle's address, he asked. Is Brimey Lodge, Stamartin Avenue, St. John's Wood. Tones took a note of it. One other question, said he. Was a photograph a cab- Was a photograph a cab- cabaret? It was. Then good night, Your Majesty. I trust that we shall soon have some good news for you. And good night, Watson. Yet yeah, is the wheels of the Royal Bilogram rolled down the street. If you will be good enough to call tomorrow afternoon at three o'clock, I should like to chat this little matter over with you.